I don't want to go too long tonight, and so uh, I want to jump right into it with a verse or a group of verses that you're probably, you're likely very familiar with, and um, let me read those to you. From Mark chapter 12, verses 28 to 31. One of the scribes approached when he heard them debating and saw that Jesus answered them well. He asked him, which command is most important of all? Okay, so Jesus answered. Is this a trick question? What are they doing to Jesus? Well, he's got the perfect answer for them. He says this. The most important is, listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other command greater than these. And so that's what I want to talk about tonight. And so tonight, I just want to offer a gentle reminder, okay? I don't know about you. But when it comes to me, I genuinely respond better when someone who's aiming to correct me, when they sort of guide me along the way to see the area that needs correction, to see where I need to make a correction, okay? This is how I tend to, I receive that better um, than someone who just sort of comes down on me and tells me what to do or, or what not to do. Um, and then that way, if they do the come alongside and sort of open your eyes to, to the errors of your ways, you can then see where you need correcting, you make the decision, and then it feels like you're the wise one, and they sort of hand that off to you. That's, that's how I, I um, would prefer. This could be in person. Someone could come along and say, hey, I noticed when. This could be uh, watching a YouTube video and, and be like, oh, eye-opening, like, wow, why do I not, I don't know, I'm trying to think of something, but uh, I watch a lot of like very random, Amanda could attest for this, uh, random YouTube videos from like woodworking to like car videos. I don't do any of this stuff, but I'm like intrigued by all of it. And so sometimes I'm like, oh, wow, that's a good tip or trick for for, uh, managing and maintaining my car. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll remember that. Something that I've been doing wrong and they're not coming down on me like you need to do this, but I like pick it up and I go, oh, I should do that. Um, or it's a podcast or reading a book or listening to an audio book, something like that, where, where an, an area is highlighted where um, something needs to be changed, and then it's like I make the decision to do that rather than being told you must do this. This is how I, I, uh, I work. And so, assuming you are similar to me, that's my aim tonight, is a gentle sort of reminder or uh, um, Let's open our eyes to see what it is that I'm talking about tonight. And I know I'm probably not going to bring something new and groundbreaking to your attention. Some of you have been Christians longer than I've even been alive. But I don't mean that that you're old. I mean that more than I'm young. (laughs) But I, I hope that I can use some stories that Jesus told or stories that Jesus was a part of as a gentle reminder and as a way to see and compare how we're all doing as we love God with all our heart soul, mind, and strength, and as we follow Christ in our busy lives in a way that shows love to our neighbor. These are the most important. That's what Jesus said. So I guess a good place to start would be defining who exactly is our neighbor. Jesus was asked this question, and that's where we get this this parable, this story of the Good Samaritan. That's where it comes from. You are very familiar with the Good Samaritan, whether you know it from the Bible or you just know it as a a fable or as a a story that's been passed on. And so let's look how Jesus answered, because that's why he was asked 
sorry, that's why he answered with the parable was because he was asked the question of, come on, who's my neighbor, Jesus? So let me show you this. Luke chapter 10, verses 25 to 37. Then an expert in the law stood up to test him, saying, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He asked him. How do, you, how do you read it? Jesus answered. And then he replies, Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all of your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself, just like I, I read before. And so Jesus responds, You've answered correctly, he told him. Do this, and you will live. But then wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, and who exactly is my neighbor, right? See where this is coming from. And so Jesus took up the question, and here's what Jesus said. A story you're likely familiar with. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him, they beat him up, and fled, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down that road. When he saw him, he passed on the other side. In the same way, a Levite, when he arrived at the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan on his, on his journey came up to him, and when he saw the man, he had compassion. He went over to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on olive oil and wine. He put him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him. When I come back, I'll reimburse you for whatever extra you spend. And then Jesus asked the question, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The one who showed mercy to him, he said. And then Jesus told him, go and do the same. So here, Jesus gives us an illustration of what it really means to love people. Chances are you've been driving or been on a road trip somewhere and you've come across that orange, well, in Canada, in Ontario, it's orange, and it says detour on the sign, right? You have a plan in, in mind and you come across this detour sign. All of a sudden, you find yourself off the highway, off the, off the track that you had prepared, in the middle of nowhere, no, nowhere close to your destination. Detours can be annoying, especially when we don't see them coming. And this reminds me of a story. My dad's not here tonight, but it doesn't care. This, it was me who was driving, so I'll, I'll take the... It's not bad, but <laughs> I have a really bad story about following a GPS, but that's for another time. But um, So my dad and I, we were recently in Florida, and so we were driving back from a baseball game. So I had my GPS open in the car, and all of a sudden it changed the plan for us on my phone and told us to get off the highway at the next exit. And so look me, I look ahead, okay, it looks like traffic, and so... Uh, it says, you know, get off the highway to avoid the traffic. And so very quickly we contemplated, do we do it? Do we get off? Like, this is the most direct way. We're in central Florida. There is no other way other than I-4, the worst road to drive on. But we had to do it. And so, okay, I guess let's get off. The, the GPS knows better. And so I pulled off the highway. Next thing we knew, we're driving through, like, residential streets on our way through middle of nowhere, central Florida. We're still following the GPS, and it's still saying our arrival time is the same as it was when we first left. So we're doing okay, but no part of this trip is making logical sense. We're going, like, away from the highway. We're not following, like, parallel to the highway. It's like, where are we going? Eventually, we would sense that we made a few turns. We're now likely making our way back to the highway to merge back on. 
But it turns out the GPS wanted us to get back on the highway exactly one exit after the one that we just got off. And so in an attempt to keep us moving, we probably went, I didn't, I didn't measure, we probably went like 10 kilometers off the highway, 10 kilometers back on the highway, one exit later, we were right back on, sitting in traffic. <laughs> it was like slightly faster, I guess, and the GPS was like, yes, go this way. So we didn't miss all the traffic, we just missed like the very beginning of the traffic. So when it told us a few exit later to do the same thing, I, I was like, hold on, hold on, let me check where this is sending us. No, 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 and we, we decided quickly to just sit in traffic and roll our way along uh, rather than take this detour down the countryside. So it can be easy for us to look at detours as a bad thing. But God actually calls us to take some detours in our lives. And actually, if you think about it, God kind of made a detour for you and for me. He went out of his way to love you, which is essentially what a detour is, right? Going out of your way. Jesus is showing us here in this story that love goes out of the way in service of others. So this Samaritan went out of his way to save this Jewish man. The priest, he didn't get off the highway. He just changed lanes and went right by him. The Levite didn't get off the highway. He also just changed the lanes and left the Jewish man on the side of the road. Obviously, that's not what happened. I'm using it, you know, metaphor to my story. But the Samaritan, he did stop. He was going somewhere. He wasn't just wandering down the road with nothing better to do. I don't know. Let's see if I can stumble into someone who needs my help today. He was going somewhere. He had something else to do. But still, he stopped. He went out of his way. He did what was necessary to save the man. Remember, we're looking at all of this story as a way to learn who is our neighbor. Historically, Samaritans and Jews did not associate with one another. And that's putting it lightly. Samaritans were the people group who lived in the northern region above Judea, okay? From Samaria to Jerusalem, it's only about 52 kilometers. That's like driving from here to Barrie. Not a very far distance. They would both say that they love and serve the one true God, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and Jacob. And so why disagree? What is there to not get along? What, what, what is causing them to not associate with one another. Well, Assyria came and conquered the northern kingdom of Israel, and they were all exiled. They, all the Sumerians, or the Samaritans, were, were exiled out, and, and that area was filled with Babylonians, with Mesopotamians. And now down south in Judah, they watched all this happening, probably counting the days where this is going to happen to them too. But it didn't happen right away. In fact, it was about a century later when Babylon had been overpowered by Assyria that uh, the Babylonians came in and Jerusalem was, was exiled as well. So years later, that's all happened. Years later, uh, they're now liberated. They're able to come back to Jerusalem. They're able to come back home. And this is where we get to the reason why they don't get along. That is why there's all this tension between the Jews from Jerusalem and the Samaritans. Like, what? It's all because the Samaritans weren't necessarily Israelites anymore. Maybe there were some living there, but they were mixed in with like the lower class people that Babylon would have left behind. And so the real reason that they didn't get along, that they didn't associate with one another, was because of political and religious issues. Sound familiar? 
Basically, they didn't get along because even though they were from here to Barry in distance, they did things differently. That's it. They didn't get along because they did things differently. But true love will cross any barrier to love someone else. It was literally the priest and the Levite's job to stop and help this man. They would have studied God's word. They would have known about the love of God. They would have been like, this is my opportunity to show God's love. And they changed lanes. They put their blinker on and they carried on down the highway. There's a difference in knowing about God's love and operating in it. The Samaritan was the least likely person to save the man. But he knew something, that love goes out of the way to serve others. This is true love. This is the way love operates. So let's break this down then. Your neighbor isn't someone who looks like you. Your neighbor isn't someone who agrees with you. Your neighbor isn't someone who follows the same religion as you. Your neighbor could be someone who makes you feel uncomfortable. Loving your neighbor will probably inconvenience you. Loving your neighbor might use up the little bit of time that you have left. The love of God crosses all barriers and goes out of the way for anyone. God's love went out of the way for us, and now we are called to go out of the way for others. Sometimes it takes, uh, all it takes for someone to come to know God, for someone to have a relationship with God, is one person going out of the way to show God's love to them. Let me show you this. Matthew chapter 9, verses 9 to 13 says, As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office, and he said to him, Follow me. And he got up and he followed him. (laughs) That easy. While he was reclining at the table in the house, many tax collectors and sinners came to eat with Jesus and and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Now, when he heard this, he said, this is Jesus, is it not those who are well who need, sorry, is it not those who are well who need a doctor those who are sick. It's not, it's not the well people don't need a doctor. The sick people need a doctor. Why are you hanging out with those people, Jesus? Because they need a doctor. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I didn't come to call the righteous, but the sinners. Jesus understood something that the religious leaders didn't. The kingdom of God operates differently than the way that we would expect it to. It loves people who seem unlovable. It calls people who seem, um, who seem beyond hope and seem helpless. Jesus knew that the love of God was more powerful than any mistake a human being could ever make. Even the people that everyone else thought were the most lost, the, the tax collectors, the, the worst of the worst, the biggest sinners could be redeemed. And I hope we all believe this is true. No one has sinned too much. No sin is too bad. And I'm glad we're all here tonight. Okay, please hear this correctly. I am glad we're all here together. There is great value in us gathering together like this. I know I'm preaching to the choir. You're here on a Sunday night. But Christianity is not a solo sport. We need to be meeting together. 
But I think the North American church is in big trouble. And I don't know about you, but I'm noticing some vile and toxic trends in the North American church. Count Australia, count other. I'm just saying, you know what I mean, right? I was going to say Western, but even that's not. I think we're losing sight of the fact that Jesus came and died for more than just us. This is a toxic trait in the church if all we're doing is loving each other. And I'm sure if I went looking for it, I could find details on how much time and resources are spent by predominantly North American churches, for lack of a better term, on creating awe-inspiring church services every single week. But if those numbers are out there, I couldn't stomach the truth to look them up. It would make me sick to see the truth in front of my eyes like that because it would cause me to wonder how much is being done to reach outside of those churches. It's not those who are well who need a doctor, but those who are sick. We're funding the most impressive, the, the, most, the best skilled doctors that could have ever been found, but you can only be their patient if you're healthy. I get it. It makes sense that the church would raise money and would fund its various ministries. It's, this is really rich coming from me, I understand. But it's love, care, and support. It can't stop at the brick walls that hold this roof up. The kingdom of God operates differently than the way the world would expect it. It loves people who seem unlovable. It calls the people who seem beyond hope. Even the people that everyone else thinks are the most lost, the biggest sinners, they can be redeemed. We can't just close our eyes and pretend they don't exist. Remember, Chad, a gentle reminder, a gentle reminder. (sighs) Let's move on. I think another reason that we fail to love our neighbor is because we get in the way. We get in the way. I get in the way. We allow our pride to get in the middle of our decision-making. I can't do that. What will people think of me if I do something like that? I can't say that. What will someone think if I jumble my words and I I, I don't know what to say? Look at what Jesus has to say about that. John chapter 13, verses 12 and 15, or 12 to 15. When Jesus had washed their feet and put on his outer clothing, he reclined again and said to them, Do you know what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are speaking rightly since that is what I am. So... If I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done for you. This is a story that Jesus is, or this, Jesus is referring to the fact that just before what I, the verses I read, he just washed his own disciples' feet. This shows us that no matter who we are, We are always called to walk in humility and to be serving others. Jesus, literally, God in human flesh, the Savior of the world, is washing his disciples' feet. You think feet are gross now. At least we have closed-toed shoes and socks and good hygiene. And if our feet get dirty, we have soap and running water to easily clean them. Back in those days, feet were even more gross than they are now. Think of your your feet at the end of like a summer day when you've been wearing sandals all day. And now that's every single day, every day. 
Everyone wore sandals. Their feet were exposed to the element. Washing someone's feet was the lowest of tasks that there were. And Jesus, God in human flesh, Savior of the world, washed his disciples' feet. If we're honest, it can be really difficult to be humble. It's important to remember, if we really want to live how God has called us to and make a difference in our world, we have to keep humility and service at the forefront. I love my neighbor by serving in humility. Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look not to his own interests, but rather to the interests of others. Humility looks after others' interests before your own. It it values other people even before it values you. This is how Jesus loved us. He looked after our interests above his. When he chose to die on the cross, it wasn't in his interest. It was in ours. Putting others first gives us an opportunity to show God's love to the world. And when when we love others like that, They see Jesus in us. Stay humble. Choose to serve others. And I'm going to wrap up with this last idea. We've all been around someone who says one thing, but often does something else, right? It can be hard to trust these people. There's a word for these people. They're called hypocrites. Nobody wants to be a hypocrite. I think we can all agree that it's a good thing to be a person of your word. It's important, not just socially, But because the Bible tells us that if our actions don't back up our faith, then we don't have faith at all. That sounds intense, I know, but it's true. If we say one thing, but we live another way, then we don't actually believe what we say we believe. James chapter 2 verse 26 says, For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. Faith without works is dead. Actions that support our beliefs are an essential part of our faith. When we truly take God at his word, we will put our faith into action and see our world change for the better. We show love to our neighbor by putting our faith into action. And scripture tells us exactly how to put this into practice in our lives. Do God's word. Don't just listen to someone telling you about it. James chapter 1 verse 22 says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. We are called to live with an active faith, a faith that does something. It's not just what we believe, it's how we live. True faith is always accompanied by action. True faith is always accompanied by action. Be a doer of God's word. Put your faith into action. And so I hope tonight or over the next week that you can't stop thinking about the story of the Good Samaritan and how in a similar way, Jesus went out of his way to show his love for you. I want to challenge you. Choose to love others the same way God loves you. It's not not just love others the way God loves you. 
choose to love others the way that God loves you? How can you go out of your way in humility to serve your friends? How can you go out of your way in humility to serve your family? How can you go out of your way in humility to serve our city? Maybe you feel like when it comes to loving your neighbor, you've been someone who says one thing but lives another. Or maybe you feel like you've gotten in your own way when it comes to loving your neighbor. No matter how many mistakes you've made, God loves you and has a plan for your life. So choose to put your faith in action tonight. Can I pray for you?